Hello, I'm Dylan. And I'm Keon. And this is Zenith at Podcast with Space Vikings. Because this week we watched The Keeper. Uh, written by Alan Pryor. Directed by Derek Martinus. And aired on March 27th, 1979. Yeah, so once again, as a reminder, we're in between seasons of Doctor Who. Right, I think we forgot to mention that. I think we forgot to mention that last week, but we did the week before. That's okay, because there's no Doctor Who even airing at this point. So Maybe we should start, maybe when Doctor Who isn't airing, and I don't know if that's ever going to be the case again, probably next season, we can go into like what other, because I think the initial request that we got was to mention other sci-fi shows that were airing, Mm -hmm. Uh, so we can maybe look up some other ones that were airing at the time. For sure. Just to get a little bit of historical context, I guess. Sure. Alan Pryor, third most prolific writer for Doctor Who. But Doctor Who, Blake Seven, coming back to write another script. Yeah, really, really delivered this time. This was a really good story. I mean, I want to just throw a shout out to Derek Martinus for basically giving us one of the best directed episodes of Blake Seven so far, in my opinion. I don't opinion. know, that, that close-up shot on Jenna's eyes actually really freaked me out. Yeah, I mean, maybe I, that was I, the yeah, point, no, I, though. I agree. Like, I really liked a lot of the Like, especially stuff, at the start stuff. here. I really know we get the end. we get this really great shot that I don't think Blake Seven or even any show around this time had attempted before, but it's like a long take, a basically a long single take of the Liberator Bridge with people coming in and out of frame talking, and it feels like really natural and fluid, like these people are moving around the bridge, coming into frame, coming out of frame, and there's like almost no cuts at all in this long hmm. take. You know, I didn't even notice that. I don't even remember it, but. Sure. Because the camera like pa- the camera it. pans around from the seats down to the lower right where Blake is talking with Avon and Villa and like preparing his provisions and then Villa goes off and it zooms out a little bit and Jenna and Callie are standing to the side and talks with them and they move around the box and then it zooms back in when Blake comes back to talk with them and Avon's talking about taking over the Federation. I just thought it was really well done. Sure. Yeah, I'll have to go back and watch it. <clears throat> Because, again, I don't even remember it. I do remember what Blake and Avon talk about in this scene, though, which is that, you know, once, if Blake gets control of Star One, then instead of destroying it, you know, he can basically run the Federation from there. And Blake was like, uh... He says something along the lines of that much power would well, corrupt Avon, anyone. Avon's like, Blake's afraid that power would corrupt, and Blake's like, that much power could corrupt anyone. And Avon's just like, huh, Right. Which, you know, maybe we're already seeing some of I mean, power corrupting like, Blake. Phil's like, I could be president. Now that's something worth fighting for. Let's go. <laughs> so they beam down to the planet. Blake, Villa, and Jenna beam down. Yeah, Jenna getting to go down. Jenna well, getting to stretch her legs. We'll see what they do with Jenna in this story. Avon then spots a ship on the scanner and is like, it's Travis, Kelly, quick, we can go, we can well, kill Kelly, we can kill Travis. Well, because what they're doing is Dockley told them about where he hid the clue to where Star One is. Right. Which is on the uh, necklace or pendant or whatever of one of these nobles. On this planet. On, I for, I'm forgetting what the planet is called. Let's look it up. It's Goth. The name oh. of the planet is Goth. Right, and the people are the Goths. Yeah. Yeah. Gonna dock some points <laughs> gonna dock some points from Alan Pryor there. Uh, he's basically out Terry Nationing Terry Nation at that point. Well, uh, I mean, this is a little ahead of where we are right now, but once we get into their tents or Thane encampment? Hall, uh, encampment, Thane Halls even, even though they weren't long halls, mm-hmm. the they first of all, I think it's 
uh, what was the guy in charge's name? Was that Rod? Or? No, 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 no. Rod, Rod was, was his brother. Yeah, Rod was the brother. And I have things to say about <laughs> that name. It's that it just means red, Gola. same as Raj. Right, so uh, Gola says, like, we've inherited... He says basically something along the lines of we've inherited stuff from the past. We're taking all right. this culture from the past and we're doing it over again. I mean, at least he... He's at least entrenched in like a society that does that, even if he's not knowledgeable as to like how that originally started. Because he's everyone there seems pretty set in like living in this way. You know, they're not like Civil War reenactors or anything. But there's also, interestingly, there's stuff from all over the world, or at least like in there in the throne room, it's a lot of like very European old style artifacts, like even pre Roman and stuff like that. But then I don't know if you noticed, but when they get into like Servaland's room and stuff, they're like, Things that look distinctly African. Yeah, Severland's room looks completely different. Yeah, so really interesting there. And I, I kind of wish they fleshed out what this society is even more. That it looks like they're taking stuff from all over the place, do they? So maybe... I mean, it's possibly a corruption of like the historical records. And they're like, oh, yeah, man, this exactly. is part of this. Or this is part of this. But when it actually wasn't... And that's kind of really like, interesting to me. Yeah, like reconstructing what they think this culture was like. And again, maybe they're not even the ones doing that. Maybe their ancestors were the ones who tried to reconstruct this cult, the you know, a certain culture, failing mm-hmm. at it, and then now that's how they're just living, which yeah. is a really interesting concept to me. And they don't really d- uh, dive into that too much. I mean, they wouldn't even know that they're wrong when they reconstruct the culture. No, they wouldn't. Though, so nope. it's not like they're just accepting it. They're it's more like they think this is what it is, so they're exactly. doing it. And that's really interesting to me. But again, they don't really go into that. There's other things they have to do in this story, like get the codes. I mean, we've had like hints of that before on Blake 7, though. Like, uh, shoot, what was the one before Gan died? Horizon? Uh, Horizon. Mm, not in the same way, though. And we had we had the the governor who was going to be like put in as a puppet governor in, in that story, which we keep mentioning, but I can never yeah, remember Bounty. the name of Bounty. Yeah, he, and he was he, like... He had all those guns and he had that castle full of just antiques that he was like collecting. Yeah. So, I mean, there are definitely people interested in ancient society, which is, you know, either from our era or before Even that. earlier. But yeah, I, I just I wish they dove into it a little more. I mean, it's a cool science fiction. It's like a concept that you can only do in science fiction, right? Like a future society finding present day or, or historical mm-hmm. items. and Doesn't, oh, You can't only do it in science. You can do like a lost colony thing that's just on Earth. Yeah, but I feel like that, even that to an extent, is science fiction because like, it's like alternate history, right? I consider alternate history to be a subsect of science fiction. Yeah, well, my ideas about what science fiction even is are... I have some opinions on that. So, I mean, I, just, I, th- I guess we can just get into it. I think, because it might be kind of interesting, I just consider science fiction any fiction that deals with science. That's why I consider books like As I Lay Dying... And crime and punishment be science fiction, because to me, science fiction is more of a lens than an actual like mm-hmm. thing. I mean, look, science fiction, you know, fantasy, horror, even concepts like the early modern era, right, with like Shakespeare and and stuff like that, are genre, quote unquote, genres designed to market stuff to you, right? Mm-hmm. So I I typically see science fiction as more of a lens to look at something. You can look at something like a book like As I Lay Dying, which to me is all about linguistics. Oh, it's the science. So Mm -hmm. if you look at it through that lens, if you get into the linguistic concepts that are in that book, then you're dealing with science in the story. So it's to me, it's science fiction. Well, I mean, I I mean, I agree with science fiction being anything that deals with science. But I guess in this context, 
where we differ would be what we consider science because you said linguistics is a science which it is but it's not like a hard science like chemistry or biology or physics and in my mind like science fiction is like it deals with science but it has to deal with biology or chemistry or physics i completely well so then you basically don't agree that uh ursula k Le Guin stories are science fiction i haven't read any of her stories so i'm not gonna make any determination on that so i don't Mm. know yeah, that's. I mean, I hear uh, that's what a lot of people say. They're like, it has to deal with hard science, and I completely disagree with that. Totally. I mean, but like, so I mean, so where like do you the consider new, the dividing wave, line? Like but, new but, wave. But, you're, what you're saying is like new wave science fiction isn't science fiction. Well, maybe it isn't, but where do you consider the dividing line between what is science and what isn't? Then, because, like, what is science? Yeah, that's also a good question. I mean. I think we've talked about it before on this show, but like people use words art and science these days to, I think uh, there, there's been some corruption in those words, which is fine. Like the languages change, only languages aren't changing are languages that are dead. Like the, like not originally, but like etymologically, whatever science and art, like science is knowledge, art is skill. So, I mean, if you want to just say that science is all knowledge, then what isn't science fiction? Yeah, that's kind of the thing. Then it's like, why even delineate it as science fiction? Why not just delineate it just well, as fiction? Well, look, I also... Right. Uh, yeah, and, and again, this is why I also say that science fiction is like a marketing thing too in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I also... I think that like science fiction is a sub... You said that you see... What would you say something is a subset of science fiction? Alternate history. Yeah, alternate history. I see science fiction as a subset of fantasy because I see that... Or, like... Actually, that's not true. Earlier I said As I Lay Dying is... I see it as a science fiction story, but I don't see it as, like, a fantastic story, right? Because nothing Mm -hmm. in... There's nothing in that story that happens that couldn't, like, happen in the real world or the given world. All that stuff, all the stuff in the story is pretty realistic, or stuff that could at least happen, mm-hmm. which is why I see that as a science fiction story, but not a fantastic one like Blake Seven. Right. So you know, I, well, I I, well, know. Uh, well, then maybe, maybe where we disagree then is that I consider science fiction maybe not necessarily hard science, but it has to deal with something that couldn't happen in the world as it is today. It has to require changing the world somehow, and that's why I, I, I consider fantasy and science fiction. I don't consider science fiction to be a subsect of fantasy, but I consider fantasy and science fiction to both be kind of two different subsects of this further umbrella term, which is like the fantastic. Yeah. The fantastic fiction, which is not like, you know, something like, um, I haven't read as I lay dying, but I've read sound and the fury. So like sound and the fury, like that's, that's something that could happen in the real world. Mm -hmm. There's nothing sound and the fury to me doesn't deal with sound and the fury deals with linguistics, but not into this. Maybe it deals with some other science, but not, not to the extent that As I Lay Dying does. Mm-hmm. As I Lay Dying to me is all about linguistics. Right. But I mean, to like to me, if the story deals with something that could happen or could have happened in present day, like historical fiction, then I don't consider that science fiction or fantasy. To me, science fiction and fantasy is a subsect of just fiction in general. That's like fiction that deals with things that that don't happen in our universe or don't happen in the universe as it is now. That's why like historical fiction yeah. is to me a subsect of science fiction because it's, it's like most of history is the same, but something is different, so it can't possibly happen in our world. Sure, and you know, I mean, all right. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, I just I can't agree that like 
books that are not, not books. I'm totally stuck on books, I guess, just because of how much I read. But I can't agree that stories that deal with soft science are not science fiction. <laughs> I basically cannot accept that. Well, because you're in, you're in the soft sciences, though, no, or you, stu- really. you study it I'm to some humanities. extent. You study etymology and linguistics to some extent, right? Yeah, but so, even, even lingui- linguistics is in a weird area to me. I wouldn't even consider that a soft science. And again, I don't even know like if I agree with using the term soft science and hard science, but like if, if we're going to and like, yeah, I guess we should at this point. Linguistics to me is in a weird area. I definitely see like psychology and stuff as like soft science. I don't know where linguistics falls, maybe some like middle ground or something. I mean, I see linguistics almost as historical science. I'm going to be honest. Mm, I don't know. I don't think we need to even. I mean, it's like also yeah. like political science is. Yeah. Political science. Well, I, I don't know. Political science is usually grouped with the humanities. I mean, and some people even delineate science fiction as hard sci-fi and soft sci-fi. Um, which, yeah. I, I mean, mean almost, also the term, almost sounds like what you're doing, except you're lumping them into one sci-fi. You're including soft sci-fi and hard sci-fi. Well, as there's well. also the terms science fiction and science fantasy. Science fantasy has always been weird to me because I've always been like, what is science fantasy? Because Well, again, it gets back to this thing where it's, to me, like, not not all science fiction has to be fantastic. There's some that is and there's some that isn't. Like, to me, Star Wars is science fiction and it's also fantasy. But well, like, I consider as, Star Wars science fantasy. But, like, yeah, that's why I don't need that term science fantasy because I just think some science fiction is also fantasy and some isn't. And not, but, and not all fantasy is science fiction because not all fantasy deals with science. I mean, I guess. I think we just have fundamentally different viewpoints on what science fiction is. Yeah, just read more. <laughs> it's not like it's going to change that, that's my, my viewpoint, that's though. My, no, it might, because that's I my... I mean, it might, but it, you don't know that. That's my cop-out. As you, as you always say, it might, but we can't know. Yeah, I mean, I just think reading more is necessarily going to change it, like, basically guaranteed. But yeah, you're right, we can't know. Anyway, that's my cop-out answer for, like, anytime someone disagrees with me, I was like, well, just read more. Like you haven't read as much as I have, <laughs> which is I mean, sadly you true. I know you I haven't watched as no, much movies or television as me, no, right? That's true. So and, like, and I haven't even look. I'm 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 saying this also as a joke. I haven't even read that much compared to a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just my joke answer of like just read more. I mean, it's also like a logical fallacy though. That answer really, okay. it's like almost an ad hominem attack. I mean, not that that's a bad thing. I guess logical fallacies. People think fallacy has like a negative connotation. Logical fallacies, you can use them in an effective way. But anyway. Yeah, it's all just a part of a rhetoric. Or it's also the fallacy fallacy where like... Calling out the fallacy yeah, is a you fallacy. Call, where you call out the fallacy and you think that that makes you right. That's like, that's a fallacy in and of itself. Anyway. Whatever. So... None of this is important to the sheer enjoyment that you can get out of this episode of Blake 7, which is at least more than I got out of Gambit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what a low bar. Avon basically I mean, decides people, to go blow up Travis's shit. Based on what people were saying on Twitter uh, oh, yeah, in people response are, to me, Gambit is like really well loved. The and, Gambit episode hasn't gone out when we're recording this and people are going to be really disappointed yeah. in our Gambit episode. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't like really like this episode as much as you did either, but we're going to get into that later. Avon blows up Travis's ship. Yeah, to, he thinks Travis is on it, and Cal- he's like, yeah, Cal- I did like, it, boys. Look, Yvonne, we can't leave. We're going to be out of teleport range, because they know that the Goths live on this planet, and they say that 
they give some of the backstory, not backstory, they give some of the info on the planet I think Avon does as he, is usually his job. Mm-hmm. He says that the Goths live underground because staying above ground for any extended period of time will basically kill you. <laughs> yeah. They mentioned that when they and teleport again, down. Like, they don't get it. Now that I bring that back up, now that I think about it again, they don't really use that in any way in this story. They just go underground. No, and it reminds me of... What does it remind me of? In um, Hostage, when they Hostage. didn't use the thin oxygen yeah. level of the planet. Yeah. Or like Fallout, the video games where you can barely ever go on the surface because <laughs> irradiated. <clears throat> Or like that episode of Star Trek where the entire planet's been bombed out so they can't stay on the surface so they live underground. This is a concept that's been done like hundreds of times over in in fiction in general. Like the surface of the planet is uninhabited so they live underground, but they like barely do anything in the story at all. Yeah, I didn't see why it was even like a part necessary. of the story other than that it was, yeah, I didn't see why it was interesting, but I didn't see why it was necessary. Anyway, like we mentioned, uh, Blakeville and Jenna go down. Mm-hmm. And Avon and Callie go off to destroy Travis's ship. Yeah, and Callie's like, "We can't do this, Avon. Come on, man. We can't. Get, we can't yeah, get but, out of teleport." So range. this is this is the thing that actually this was one thing that bugged me about the story is that the first time they go to destroy a ship, Avon uses Zen to plot a course, and Callie's like, "What the heck?" And Avon's like, "We're doing it. Don't fight with Zen or me." But then the second time, Avon asks Callie to plot the course of the ship, and she refuses to do it, and Avon just accepts this instead of doing what he did the first time and asking Zen to plot the course instead. Yeah, if I remember correctly, wasn't Servalan on the second ship? Wouldn't they have been able to kill Servalan if they had... It was Travis on the second ship. Oh, okay. Travis takes Servalan's ship to go oh, right, get the yeah, patrol. Oh, right, yeah, They, they would have actually killed Travis if oh, they'd gone for the second ship. Oh, my God. Ship. Yeah, that's what they were doing. They were going for this... Not, or they were doing this thing where it's like... Well, like, what know, bugged me, though, is that... Avon uses Zen to plot the course the first time over Callie's protests, and the second time when Callie protests because he directly asked Callie to set the course, he doesn't just go overhead and use Zen. He doesn't. It well, just I seems think, inconsistent well, to me. Well, I think because he was wrong the first time, he's like, all right, fine. Well, he didn't know he was wrong, though. Oh, well. He, he, he assumed Travis was on that ship till the end of the story when Blake was, or not Blake, but Jen and Villa were like, we saw Travis uh, down on yeah, the planet. Yeah, I guess, yeah, that's true. Well, whatever. And, and is- then even still... He thinks Servaland's on that ship, not Travis, because it's Servaland's oh, yeah. ship that's that leaving was, the planet. This is all very confusing, but... It just seemed inconsistent to me that Avon would go over Callie's head the first time and use Zen, but the second time he wouldn't. And the only reason, really, that I can see why he wouldn't the second time is because he would have actually killed Travis, and they can't kill Travis off yet on the show, just just like that. Like, in a, from an out-of-universe perspective. All right. <laughs> anyway... That's not a very big part of the episode. It's big in the, well, well, it's big in the aspect that Blake is like, Avon, teleport, because they get jumped by some dudes. Yeah, they're just wandering through the woods, I guess, and some goths show up and start attacking them. They have this big fight scene. Blake is, like, getting choked. Villa's yeah. just off to the side, like, hiding, but not even, like, hiding that well. Yeah. And they're like, wait a minute, there's another guy over there. So they go attack him. And they... Villa actually escapes... Briefly. <laughs> yeah, Villa He's trying to call for teleport, and then eventually they get back in teleport range just when Blake calls for teleport, and they beam him up, and they're like, what happened to Villa and Jenna? And he's like, you bloody idiots. Let them get captured because you were somewhere else. <laughs> and Avon's like, well, we just killed Travis. And Blake is like, if Travis was even on the ship. And Avon's like, 
Ah, shoot. Yeah, so it's not at the end where he realize he doesn't know whether Travis or not he Travis is on the ship know. or not. But like he starts questioning it. But even still, the second ship was Servaland's ship, and he would Servaland. It's not Travis. Eh, I don't know, whatever. Blake goes back down to the planet. To he go tells them around. if he's not up in six hours, they need to beat. They need to come down themselves. Orak doesn't show up in this story, by the way. Just wanted to point that out. That's fine. He didn't necessarily. Zen didn't show up last week, so. No, he didn't, but Orak didn't necessarily need to be in this. No, he didn't. So Blake goes back down to the planet to go try and rescue Jenna and uh, Villa, and he runs into Rod. <laughs> All right, when he meets Rod. <laughs> Both of their names mean red, right? Like Raj yeah, is red. But Rod what I was going to go red. for with, like, so there's Gola and Tara. Gola's the uh-huh. chief and Tara's his sister. And they've all got, like, really sci-fi-esque names. And this guy's like, hey, my name's Rod. <laughs> well, I mean, look, Blake Seven has always done that. There's, like, there's Oleg Ivan and Oleg Gan. And, and then like, there's Rod. <laughs> and then there's Jenna Stannis, which is, like, a totally normal name. I just burst out laughing. This guy's like, my name is Rod. <laughs> Brian Blessed would have totally fit right in in this story. This as story, Rod? no, just as anybody. Or as Gola, this. probably as Gola. Because like these also reminded me of uh, it's the, Alpha. It's, it's the Doctor Who story where Perry gets killed, but she's not actually killed, and it's got Brian Blessed as King Yakarnos. Oh, mind warp. Mind warp. <laughs> That's why I think Brian Blessed would have been good in this story because it reminded me a lot of King Yakarnos, uh, Rod, mm, and really? Gola. Well, extent. King Yakarnos was based on, wasn't he based on like, what are, uh, what are they called? The, I don't know, but just like the king being deposed and having to fight back and challenge them for his kingdom. Yeah, sure. This was a lot more enjoyable than Mind Warp. And also like the overacting that was very Brian Blessed in style. Yeah, yeah. All right. Anyway, they're taken underground. We get, a, I think, a CSO shot of yes. the caverns which was done very sketchily but you know i think it needed it to worked. be i think it needed to be in there because otherwise they're just taken into this room and you never yeah. get the impression that they're underground yeah this is oh yeah we we find out unlike everybody else in the story that Tra- travis is alive immediately because right after avon's like we got him it's like smash cut to <laughs> travis standing next to gola like hey what's up gola <laughs> I think we see Gola sort of torturing his fool or whatever, and then Travis walks in and he's like, so hey, what's new, Gola? Yeah, because his fool is like apparently being really bad and not entertaining him. Yeah, bad as in he's like not doing a good job yeah. of entertaining him. And Tara's his sister apparently like breathes in these fumes that let her see the future. <laughs> yeah. And... Well, to her, as far as she well, says, except, as far as she says. Every prediction she makes in the story is 100% right, so. Well, and she also takes the throne at the end, which is really interesting. Well, because everybody else who could is dead. Yeah, I mean, I guess she foresaw all of this. Maybe she put it in motion. Maybe yeah, she's Dalek Khan of the story. This reminded me of the episode of The Prisoner, which I've been going back to a lot lately for some reason. Not watching it, but just going back and thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because it's like one of the only British shows I've watched from like even remotely this era. There's like Doctor Who, that, and like a couple other ones mm-hmm. that I've never finished. <laughs> but uh, there's this one episode where this assistant who is who plays like this sort of she she plays a role similar similar to like what Jenna does in this episode, and at the very end she just slaps number six in the face. Or, uh, yeah, number six, and then. She becomes like the new number two for that episode. 
And if you know like what the show is about, then you know like what that means. But yeah, I know. I know yeah. what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. And she's yeah, it, it's done really well. That's like my favorite episode of that show. Yeah, I mean, reminds me of this episode of Star Trek Enterprise, episode, which I, I literally just watched like two days ago. Actually, yesterday. In the mirror universe, where basically everybody advances up the ranks by just killing their superiors and taking their place. So over the course of the so episode, just like real life, the, ca- the captain of the ship gets replaced twice because the the initial captain gets overthrown by a mutiny, and then that captain stays in power till right at the end when he gets overthrown again by someone else. It's you know it's interesting. You only advance through the ranks by just killing your superior and taking their place at that point because everybody wants to hold power for themselves. Yeah, well, well, a lot of what this culture is, is based on like Northern culture and like Beowulf type stuff with Thanes. And well, I mean, this extends far beyond Beowulf, but like Mm -hmm. to most like people who are familiar with English lit and stuff like that, Beowulf is the big one, right? And Beowulf is also awesome. So go ahead and read it if you haven't. Read the translation by Seamus Haney, Mm -hmm. who is, I think, the poet laureate or of some uh, Ireland or something. I don't know. But he's like pretty famous, and his translation is modern and good. I read Beowulf in middle school, but oh, I don't geez. remember what translation I read, and I remember it being kind of weird and dull. Yeah, well, Seamus Haney one is really interesting. Oh yeah, so reminds it's it's kind of like the Thane sort of world. There's this poem. I mean, the I've, planet is literally called Goth. Yeah, there's this poem. There's there's actually a lot of poems that still survive from this era about like warriors who like shamed themselves and they have to go wander like the icy wastes by themselves <laughs> and so like fighting and stuff is a huge part of this mm-hmm. type of culture call, call back to this culture right i mean it's that i idea. don't know i like i don't know where a lot of I don't know a lot of about where women fit into this because a lot of these poems and stuff mm-hmm. and especially Beowulf also them. Are they're not mentioned? I think the yeah. only female in Beowulf is Grendel's Quinn. mom. Yeah. <laughs> so this episode is doing some interesting stuff with that. I, I think. Kind of. I mean, really, the only woman in this is Tara and Jenna. And, and Tara. Serverland shows up. Serverland, but she just shows up to and Callie and to run around and be like, ha, ha, ha. Well, yeah. Tara and Jenna are the the main ones in this. Right. The story also like I guess retcons the retcon from last week what because now serverland and travis are working together yeah, again yeah i mean i think look a lot of this i'm not 100 percent sure on this but it seems like this a lot of this is a result of the weird production order and shuffling in that yeah it really it really just reinforces the idea that i had last week the theory that i had that last week's episode was supposed to take place before travis's trial in some way yeah and i'm i'm okay with this in that light yeah. Like, it's. Did, did it work out well in the end? No, but. I mean, whatever. It's, it's actually entirely possible. It does take place before Travis's trial and just out later. I mean, I don't think no. there's any. Is there something in Gambit that yeah, railroads it into being set later? Yeah, because they're looking for the code. For Star One? Yeah. That's the only thing. Yeah, I guess it. Yeah. I guess that kind of throws a wrench in the system, doesn't it? Yep. Damn. <laughs> it was so perfect. It was. Briefly. Anyway, Blake Bla- and Rod. Just Rod's like, I'm gonna go gather my men. You're an enemy of Travis and Servland and and my brother, right? And he's like, Yeah. So then he's like, Good, we'll go fight them. You it's wait like, here in the dungeon yeah, while I gather up my men. He he says, I have to go fight my brother, and then immediately you get a shot of Gola 
So they're like, okay, Gola is Rod's brother. I mean, you can figure out pretty easily, yeah, I think. That's how I, like, it's pretty well telegraphed, so. It's also telegraphed, to me, what made me figure it out is that Gola refers to Tara as his sister and, and doesn't refer to anyone else by their familiar relations. So to have Rod refer to someone specifically as his oh, brother, I was like. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So basically Villa, not a lot happens in this middle section except well, for Jenna trying. There's a lot of sort of character interactions. Yeah. Villa is brought in. He's made the new jester. I guess just his well, entire appearance well, in the theater is like, you're the new first, jester. First, Jenna goes to Tara and is like, do you know who the keeper is? And there's this weird scene with Tara and Jenna and feels like there's a lot of sexual tension in this scene for this, some reason. This, this, well, first of all, Gola is, decides to take Jenna as his like wife. Pair bond mate. Right, his pair bond mate. Because they have to get those extra seconds into the story so they make the (laughs) phrase three times longer. But right, she, Jenna goes and confronts Tara. We're skipping a scene with Travis and Servline, but we'll get back to that. Mm -hmm. And this scene actually really freaked me out. This was one of the scariest, it was was almost a jump scare even, because it just like, there's this instant shot, like this zoomed in on Jenna's eyes and Sally Nuvet is like, her eyes are as wide as they can possibly be. And like, it just freaked me out. Yeah, no. It, it, <laughs> and she's she's oh, moving oh, her head like, I don't know, some demonic. Well, because she can't move force. her hands. She's like really confused because Tara like stops her from moving her hands somehow. And based on what Doc Lee told them, the information is on a pendant and they don't know whether that pendant is around the neck of Gola or Tara. Yeah, because right now the only two nobles they know about are Gola or Tara. And once you figure out that Rod is Gola's brother... You're like, oh, oh, it could also be yeah, Rod. So and it's in one fact, of the three. In fact, when you find, when you realize Rod is Gola's brother, you're like, it's probably Rod. Yeah. To me, I was like, it's definitely Rod. That's going to be the big twist is it's on Rod, but the twist gets even weirder. Yeah. So True. Jenna checks Tara's pendant, and there's nothing. Yep. So she's like, oh, it must be on Gola's. So yeah. we have to get uh, as close to it as possible. And this is where she starts sort of play acting as Gola's pair bond mate. And he falls for it, surprisingly, because it's, you know, a really terrible act. There's, like, no way anyone with half a brain wouldn't see through it immediately. But Gola is convinced. Gola was the only one who needed to be convinced. Right. Servalan is like, yo. Servalan talks with Travis. Travis is like, look, I'm going to go get some pursuit ships because they blew up my ship. <laughs> I'm going to use your ship. And Servalan's okay. So Travis leaves. And we don't see Tra- Travis for the rest of the story. And then the I only other that- time we see Servalan in the story is right now when uh, Gola... And Sally are, I guess, playing, like, space chess, and Servalan's like, she let you win. Yeah, well, I really like this um, one line between Servalan and Travis, because Travis goes, don't you trust me, Servalan? And she's, she's like, like, no, no of, of course, course not. not. She said that before, I think. Mm, I don't remember it, so I really liked it here. They bring up IQ in at some point right during Right now, this. when she talks about Sally letting Gola win, and, and Servalan's like, she's, like, one of the highest-ranked intelligence people we had in the federation she let you win and gola's like what like i was in that's interesting they still use iq yeah even though iq is not really a measurement of intelligence yeah well it's i mean it's always been a measure more of problem solving but like really specific logic problems it's not really a measure of your intelligence at all iq is also like really caught up in language people who natively speak indo-european languages will basically almost always do better on iq tests than people who Right, whose it's, first languages are not. This is a lot of problem solving, and if you don't understand the language, it's really difficult to solve the problem. Well, like, or if you don't have a good grasp of the language, like if you understand it but you don't like, understand a lot of the nuances, it's really difficult to no, solve problems. Well, I mean, like, even if you take a say an IQ test written in English and you translate it into another into into a non-Indo-European language, mm-hmm. just like the ways Indo-European languages work, I think 
mean that like people whose first language is not an Indo-European language are not going to do as well on the test, just like all across the board. Yeah, I think so. But it's in, I mean, it's interesting. I, I think a lot of this stuff wasn't like known or acknowledged back in the seventies because like mm-hmm. even now IQ is like really falling out of favor as like a thing yeah. to measure. Unless you're Mensa, I guess. I don't know what that is. Mensa is like an association or a group for people with high IQ. <laughs> the joke is always like, how do you know someone's a member of Mensa? Well, they'll tell you because wow. people who are part of Mensa usually <laughs> like to flash that badge as much as off as much as they can. <clears throat> what do you get for being a part of it? Just bragging Recognition rights? Recognition bragging rights? <laughs> you get to meet up with other members of Mensa? You should go to the Mensa subreddit, actually. It's like a good microcosm of what people who are part of Mensa are because just people bragging about their IQ and they're like... Went to a Mensa meetup today, guys. It was nice to talk with people who are on the same wow. intelligence level as me. And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> well, I don't even go on Reddit, thankfully. And I probably won't start. So so I, the, I can the really fool see... throws his voice to get Villa thrown in jail. Yeah. And, and Jenna fakes the wine being poisoned to get the fool thrown in jail so they can bring Villa back. That was back. funny. <laughs> I mean, we should probably talk about Sally Nevette during this because based on what she said about the show and like her role, especially in series B, I can basically, I'm assuming she freaking hated this episode, right? I would assume so. I mean, that's kind of actually the impression I got from the acting in the episode was that she was like really hating this episode. I think she does, she does a good job. She does a professional job of doing what she's supposed to be doing, which is at least in this episode playing a like a badass smuggler who's pretending to be like this docile sort of stereotypical female role right. which i don't know like there's bad it's badass smuggler playing what she thinks gola wants yeah. which turns out to be actually what gola wants in, and in some ways that's more forgivable than what sally nevet has criticized the show for doing before which is just making her like you know the quote-unquote eye candy in the shot I guess, but this is almost a continuation of that, isn't it? You yeah, know, it, yeah, it is. She's playing up that very, I guess, coy, playful, kind sexualized. of sexualized woman that, like, that she didn't want to play. That Gola wants that she didn't want to play that she didn't think had any place in this show, right? At all, right? I mean, this is a show based around like characters who are really strong and independent and not like stereotypical it's based around like a team of criminals and she's a smuggler and they're not (laughs) what i'm saying is they're not like stereotypical in any way and this is like i don't know about that but well this is like a big stereotype at least it was back in the day the sexualized eye candy was just there to look pretty and sure and you know just yeah no i'm no i mean i'm not in some ways i'm apologizing for it do I think it was a uh, great decision? Maybe not, but I don't know. I just can't help but think that in some ways this is less egregious than what we've seen so far, which is because she's playing Jenna, playing this character, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I think it could be seen as less egregious also because it's part of the actual plot of the story that Jenna yeah, herself sure. plays it this way. Yep. And it's not actually how Jenna is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's the possibility that Sally Nevette really loved this because she got to play Jenna playing this and got to be like, see, look. Somehow I, d- I haven't looked up anything that she said about this episode or anything or haven't seen anything, but somehow I doubt that. Yeah, I really doubt that too. 
But we don't know, I guess, is my point. Nope. But I think based on what she said that she probably really hated this. Playing it like this, I guess. Yeah. But it's not who Jenna is. It's Jenna playing it, I guess, is what we're saying. Yeah. Not that that necessarily makes it any better, but anyway. No, no. Anyway, Villa Villa gets taken off. He's like, no, it wasn't me. I didn't do it, I swear. This is kind of hilarious. They just, the guy, the guard just walks over, picks him up like fireman (laughs) carry style and carries him down to the dungeon. The guy who plays the fool is really good at throwing his voice and sounding like um, Villa. Villa. Yeah, like uh, Michael Keaton. And while he's in the basement, Villa sees Blake and Blake's like, yo, what's going on? Also, this is old crazy man in the basement and Blake's like, just shut up, dude. What are you doing here? Yeah, they he, he encounters... The the dungeons are in you know this underground area, and he encounters the old dude, and he's like, "Yeah, whatever," just ignores him. And then Villa gets taken back up, and then Villa really cunningly tells Jenna that Blake's below. But he's like, "Look at this rope and the ring on it. There's no break above. There's a Blake below." <clears throat> and Jenna's like, "Ah." <laughs> and it didn't really matter for him to tell her that because then Rod shows up, and Blake and Rod kind of just metaphorically kick the door down, and we're like. <laughs> It's us. We're back. We're coming to take the throne. So they decide to fight Rod and uh, Gola, that is, and they use this sort of, I guess, medieval style weapon. I didn't even, I tried to find out what this weapon was, but I couldn't find the name of it. It's basically, on one hand, you have a a spiked glove, basically, like a spiked Mm -hmm. boxing glove, and you're chained to the other person as well. By your other hand. Yeah, by your other hand. Yeah, I thought this was. I recognize this weapon too. I was like, I'm sure this is some sort of medieval weapon of some sort. Yeah, I tried, and again, I tried looking it up. I couldn't find out what it was called. I just kept running into like Morning Star. It's like and a, yeah, Morning like Star is like the spiky ball on the end of a chain. Yeah, I don't know. What the, I, I tried looking at like spiked medieval spiked glove or something like that, and I couldn't find it. But I don't really know. But yeah, like you I, know, I recognize. Let it. us know. <laughs> But what I did think it was really dangerous to wave these spiky boxing gloves around in this room where your, your spectators are like not three feet away from you. I was expecting well, someone to think, get like impaled. I mean, did you think it was just a pro? It was like just no, a, but I'm a saying prop, like right? in the context of like the story, in the, yeah, in the story wouldn't the they like go outside or something so that they could be away from all these other people who are standing really close nah, and avoid sure like collateral damage? Didn't care. Because they like jump around the whole room and everything. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, they're jumping off tables and stuff like that. There's a moment it's where a Rod, really cool fight. I actually where Rod really has it. Gola like right at his mercy. All he has to do is thrust forward and stab him like when he's lying down next to Jenna right at the start of the battle too. And he just doesn't for some reason. Then they fight some more and Rod ends up dying. Yep. And he actually like gets choked instead of getting mm-hmm. stabbed. He uh, chokes him with the, the and chain. And he stabs him at the end. Tara actually also prophesied that... She uh, prophesied that if Gola took... Jenna, as his pair bond mate, he wouldn't be happy because his brother would come back and th- and they would both die. She doesn't say they would kill each other because Gola asks if that means they'll kill each other. And she says, I don't know, but you both will die. Yeah. So what happens is he kills Rod and then he drinks poisoned wine. Yep. And Croaks. dies. And they check both Rod and Gola's necks and like, damn, who the hell has the brain print? And I forget how they find out it's the old man in the... Uh Tara reveals. Oh, Tara reveals. Tara reveals that the old man was their father, that they both deposed, and then they fought over the throne. Right. Tara takes the throne herself, cackling. (laughs) Must have planned all along. Yeah. So they go down to the basement. They're like, shoot, we got to check, and it's gone. Presumably, Servalan already took the brain print, or Travis. Uh, I think it's implied, actually, that Servalan took it. 
There's the yeah, indication they, in the story actually that Servalan is looking for Star One and doesn't know where Star One is because she also wants to control the Federation. When she's talking with Travis, Travis is like, imagine if we control the Federation, you and I, from Star One. Yeah, but didn't, wasn't it already, maybe I'm wrong here, wasn't it already established that Servalan doesn't even know where Star One is? I mean, yeah, I feel like it was, but I'm pretty I sure. thought in Gambit, it seemed like she just wanted to find Darkly to stop Blake from finding out where Star One is. But in this, they make it out like Servalan and Travis want Star One for their own purposes. Yeah, I, th- I think that's true. I think Servalan just had a bigger agenda in Gambit, which is maybe why it wasn't as focused. And maybe this is also maybe due to the weird shuffling of this mm-hmm. season. So Possibly. I just thought it was interesting that Servalan is basically committing treason here. Well, so I mean, she's gone behind the, she's gone around Federation regulations and rules before. It's like a lot. Yeah, a lot. We'll yeah, s- we'll no, see where yeah. that takes her. But anyway, the the father character is dying, and the the fool is also he's still down there because he was thrown in the dungeons before. He starts singing a sad song about the king dying. <laughs> but the the guy's last words to Blake are, "A fool knows nothing and everything," something like that. Yeah, so Blake's like, well, he said a fool knows everything and a fool knows nothing. And he like looks at the fool. And all of a sudden, the fool song like swaps and he's like, the star one coordinates are at blank, 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 blank. And Blake's like, well, that was easy. <laughs> so it was hidden in like this guy's mind and he was conditioned to repeat it on the trigger utterance phrase. of this trigger phrase, which is a fool knows nothing and everything. Right. Or everything and nothing, whatever it was. So now they know. I liked how this was done, though. I... Like to, I just also want to point out that this is basically Dudley Simpson at his best, mm-hmm. one, or at least one of his best uh, episodes that he did for Blake 7. I think he did all of the Blake 7 episodes except for like one or two. Right. And I like the sound in this scene too. When the when the fool starts talking in a computerized voice, there's a kind of creepy sound effect that goes along with it and thought it worked really well. I really liked this twist though, that the old man was the king. I didn't see that coming at all because it see, the whole story was building up to Rod being the one who had the brain pin. Yeah. And then all of a sudden at the end, it's like, no, actually, it's this old man in the in the dungeon. And yeah, so they just beam up and they just leave. I think just, they just beam up and leave. Yeah, I think so too. I don't remember any snarky, interesting lines at the end of this. No, I don't either. I just remember Avon looking really disappointed when Callie wouldn't set the course to Silverland's ship. She's just like, no, Avon, I refuse. Avon's like, oh. Yeah, they beam up and Blake's like, oh, we've got the coins to Star One, let's go. That's kind of what happens. Yep. I really liked this episode. This, to me, obviously they were looking for the codes and there's the stuff going on with Servaline and Travis that wouldn't have happened in Series A uh, because of the differences in how Servaline and Travis are really achieved in Series A versus B, mm-hmm. which I want to talk about more next week. Mm-hmm. But this, a lot of this feels like a Series A episode. Like yeah. the stuff with Gola and like just that the whole you know vignette story with them and like the power struggle. Yeah, it feels very different from all the other series B episodes. Unique. It's definitely a lot more historical based than the other ones are, which I think is interesting because there's a lot more like rooted in history, similar to we mentioned the episode of this Bounty. Bounty. Why, that is the only episode I can never remember the name to. Similar to Bounty in a lot of ways, but also really different because in this story, it's not Blake and them running away from the Federation. It's them running just Serverland and Travis who seem to have gone a little rogue. Uh, 
Yeah, Travis and Sogolan actually barely show up in the story. They kind of just show up as side characters, which I really liked because we've had a lot of Sogolan and Travis in the past couple of weeks. And I am almost 100% certain they'll be back next week. Oh, yeah. So That's I, not even a spoiler to say that they will yeah, be. Yeah, <laughs> no. So I'm, I'm like glad that in this story they weren't the main villains. They were just kind of side characters. Yeah, and uh, I was gonna, I was planning on talking about this next week, but we're basically already touching on it here. In Series A, there's like a, actually a huge difference now that I think about it between Series A, Servaline and Travis, and Series B, Servaline and Travis. Mm-hmm. Series A, Servaline and Travis, and I know we mentioned this by the end of Series A, like when we watched ORAC, like they felt like Saturday morning cartoon villains. Right. Because they kept, they brought them back in that style, right? They were, they brought them back maybe every two episodes or so mm-hmm. and they would come up with like a new plan to a stop new over the top yeah over engineered plan and, and that was fine like to introduce them especially with Stephen griefs travis who wasn't like yeah. who didn't have as much like character development if and i kind of hesitate to say that yeah. but character development as brian croucher's travis so that was okay for for that season and i actually liked how they established them in that way right but series b they're actually they're like they're their main characters as much as, you know, the Liberator crew are. Yeah, they are. There's like a there's a story going on with Servlan and Travis at the same time as, you know, stuff with Blake and Villa, Avon, Jenna and, and Gan dying and stuff like that. Which is why they're like which is why in hindsight I'm okay with like them coming back every week after week after week, you know, having more you know, developing their story a little more every week and stuff yeah. like that. I agree. So, and I and I think that uh, there's stuff this is also why I wanted to talk about it next week because of what happens next week that I don't think you know about yet, so I'm not going to mention it. But I think because of stuff we're going to see next week, that had to be done. Yeah, well, I think it's definitely something we can go into more depth next week yep. uh, on. I just wanted to mention that I really liked in this story. They were more side characters than the main villains. Gola was the main villain of the story. Yeah, I, I will say like at this point in the season, it's actually nice to have like this kind of series a-esque episode right where Mm -hmm. it's like this they go and there's like this conflict and they become a part of it right so uh do you want to get into uh ratings here yeah why not why don't uh why don't you go first this time okay yeah i think i'll go first my rating for this story is the name rod in a universe (laughs) populated by olag again and kuravon uh you know it's just like when you look at all the other names in the universe seems kind of out of place uh, kind of like how when you look at all the other Series B episodes, the story kind of stands out as being kind of different. Yeah. But, you know, it works, right? You're not going to be like, oh, God, that's a terrible name. <laughs> it's just out of place, right? But it's good. It fits the character. And, like, the story was good. Fits in. I mean, it's out of place in the aspect that, yeah, it's like Series A. But I think it was good. I mean, not great, but good. <laughs> like the name Rod in real life. Good, <laughs> not but not great. <laughs> Sorry to all the Rods listening to this <laughs> podcast. I don't mean that. All right. Well, I I rated this one uh, Travis ripping off his Chevan mask <laughs> because it's kind of a late game game changer, right? It's kind of a, a surprise late in the game. Like that was late in the episode. You know, at the very sort of tail end of that episode, Chevan rips off the mask and it's Travis underneath and that sort of changes everything. And it's done really cool and it's surprising. And this episode is like, it's really good. It's a surprise late in the season mm-hmm. and it's kind of different from, from what you've gotten up to that point and really enjoyable. I forgot Travis was in that. That means we've had, what, four Travis and Serverland episodes in a row? Yeah, I think everything since Trial has had Travis like and Serverland. six then. Yeah. Yeah, well, because even Pressure Point. Pressure Point, Trial. Oh, yeah, yep, everything since Pressure Point, because they weren't in Horizon. So oh, everything yeah. pressure since Pressure Point, Point has had Serverland and Travis. Trial, Again, this- Killer Hostage Countdown, Voice of the Past, Gambit. 
No, not, they weren't in countdown. Killer. No, they weren't in. And they weren't in countdown. Were they in Killer? No. No. Okay. No. No, no they weren't. They, they weren't in countdown either. Yeah, they weren't in countdown. But still, like, in hindsight, I'm still more okay with like them coming back in like a larger capacity because of the stuff we mentioned, you know, a minute or two ago. Right. You sure they weren't? I'm in pretty killer? sure they weren't in Killer. Killer was the one with the killer virus. Virus. You're right. It was Tynus in that one. They, call, they called Servalan in that one. They called Servalan. I was thinking of Tynus. Yeah, well, this is the third service in service. Servalan and Travis episode in a row. And then if they show up next week, that'll make it four, right? Hopefully next season they can move a little bit away from Travis and Servalan. I'd like to see them introduce someone else. But that's something I want to talk about next week too. Yeah. So we did get an email this week from regular contributor and correspondent Sergeant Drano. So we'll go ahead and read that. The subject line is Dark Star. And hey, guys, fell a little behind, but catching up now. Just a quick note to let Keon know that the movie he was trying to think of a few episodes back was Dark Star, a student film and first film made by John Carpenter. Ah, yeah, he did Halloween and Scream, as you note here in your parentheses. And Dan O'Bannon from Alien. They both wrote it. Carpenter directed and O'Bannon was one of the main cast, playing Sergeant Pinback. Prophetically, in the movie, O'Bannon has an extended encounter with the alien, in quotes, lol. Good, sorry, great film, though often only appreciated after repeated viewings. I still find myself quoting it all the time. Sergeant Drano, Station 7, The Door. Yeah, thanks, because I totally blanked on what it was. And someone on Twitter actually, you know, after that episode came out, um, reminded me of, of um, what it was. So, you know, I went up and looked when I looked it up and admittedly I wasn't I was only like half paying attention when I watched it which are, I, really I almost never do I almost never just have things playing on in the background I'm usually mm-hmm. tuned in but for this one I, would, I just did it I thought I was doing other things while right. watching it so I really do want to revisit that movie and like actually pay attention because I don't think I was picking up on a lot of what was going on I'm more impressed that people picked up what movie it was from your completely <laughs> janky and screwball <laughs> explanation <laughs> just goes to show that there really are people out there who know everything about everything yeah, I guess. And I guess they listen to Zenith now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm amazed. Okay, what also amazes me that someone who knew what that film was and could pick it up from your janky explanation <laughs> listened to Zenith and then told us what it was. Uh, both Sergeant Drano and the random Twitter commenter who apparently... Yeah, I'm forgetting who it was, but... Apparently figured it out. Right. Yeah, so... Movie, though. Yeah. So if you would like to email us, you can email us at the doctor at decoratorvegetable.com questions comments concerns angry rants love letters your thoughts on series b anything series b related as we come to a close you'd like us to talk about next week and you can find us on youtube at decorative vegetable you can find us on apple podcasts and google play at zenith a blake seven podcast be sure to leave a rating if you like the show check us on facebook trust your doctor like us on facebook also check us on twitter at tyd podcast and follow us on twitter and next time we finish up series b with star one but until then the end